Yeah. Yeah, just tell me in five minutes. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. All right, I'm Michael, I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank God for my abstinence. And uh, two's a. I don't know if you asked me to come and share, but if you did, thank you. Uh, it's really a lovely room, this. Just having a little laugh to myself. Oh, is the only place you can get a whole load of Jews in a church on a Saturday morning. Uh, yeah. I didn't know any Jews till I joined away, you know. The, no- the nicest people as well, you know. My, uh, my sponsor's Jewish. And, uh, I don't know why I'm talking about that. I just, um, just, uh, yeah. So what am I going to talk about? Uh, I don't plan it. This morning I got up and I weighed myself. I was 199 pounds. And uh, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I weighed 299.5 pounds. And that was 14 14 years and uh, nine months ago. So I've maintained a 100 pound weight loss in uh, 13 years. It took me about 11 months to drop 100 pounds. And I've maintained that weight loss. And that's pretty miraculous. And the reason why it's so miraculous is that before Overeaters Anonymous, I had tried everything to lose weight and uh, get healthy around food. And uh, everything, everything. Um, There is, honestly, there's very little I don't know about nutrition or training or exercise or or heart rate zones or... uh, hit cardio or, or uh, steady cardio or reps or, I mean seriously I, I really do know it better than most trainers because I, I was so obsessed with it all and uh, I can tell you how many grams of fat how many grams of protein how many carbs in each gram I can tell you about intermittent fasting and when you should eat and when you shouldn't eat and uh, everything and it, none of it made the slightest bit of difference right, to me because I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I, I just can't control my eating without a spiritual program or recovery and working the 12 steps in the day that I'm in, steps 10, 11 and 12. Uh, I need a sponsor. I need to send my food in every night to him. I need to call him. I used to call him every night at 10 o'clock. He's much older now. So I call him... Uh, like three times a week now I, I work multiple 12 step programs because I don't believe in my opinion that you can have one addiction uh, that's just my opinion I, I believe we've got I've got multiple addictions um, so you know I lost all this weight uh, but the great thing that came out of it was uh, it really transformed my life uh, you know I was driving over here and I was thinking about OA and what a transformation in my life has taken place working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. It really has been incredible. Um, over the last 14 and a half years, my, my abstinence date is, is um, March the 31st, 2008. And that was the last time I binged on food. Uh, is it the last time I've, I've used food to cope my emotions? No, that's not true. If you've got that, you've got that perfection, God bless you. I haven't met anybody yet in Overeaters Anonymous who's had every single day. It's clean and walking, tiptoeing through the daffodils. And you don't need food anymore. You know, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. But what I don't do is I don't binge. And I don't use red light foods. Um, and I don't uh, lie 
about it. I'm very transparent about what I eat. And, uh, you know, food has been uh, a major part of my life from a very, very early age and still is. And people keep coming to me and saying, you should make a living out of this, you know. All these people you help, and you should... You should like get on Instagram and get the, you know, get real. Because I cook a lot now. I've really got into food. I love food. I just don't use it emotionally anymore. You know, I cook. I go to any restaurant in Los Angeles, you know, and I can eat. I can't eat anything I want, but I do not compulsively eat anymore. Um, but I really have to work my program around food. So, like, for example, the other, the other last Saturday night, I went to Voltaire in Brentwood I love that restaurant it's a steakhouse before I choose off the menu I go in the bathroom and I say the serenity prayer that's what I do before I go to the restaurant I've already picked what I'm going to eat I've already looked at the menu and I already know what I'm going to pick and I share that with my sponsor and I don't deviate and I don't eat desserts and that's the way I live my life and, and because for me um if I have that one spoonful of dessert, I can't stop. I mean, there are some people, no way, that can eat desserts, um, and that's fine. But I can't. I just can't. I can't, I can't eat chocolate. I'm from Britain. We've got the best chocolate in the world. I used to gorge on Capri's chocolate. I haven't had chocolate in 14 and a half years. The, the other thing that I'm, I'm completely addicted to is fast food. I haven't been in a McDonald's or an In-N-Out. I haven't been in any of those places for 14 and a half years. I go to Subway like once a year if there's nothing else around. I just don't go there. The smell of walking in those places triggers me. I mean, I've got a mental obsession, right? Coupled with a physical allergy. I don't react normally when I walk into McDonald's like 99% of the population do. I'm like, I have the smell in there and the, the, the people are, I'm like zoomed in. I'm like five, but you know, Big Macs and I'm like the full, and then I come back an hour later and I'm doing it again. I mean, that's where I'm at. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it was like. And, uh, and then I'm going to talk about where I'm at today and how I use my program. So uh, I do have photographs and I need to update these. Um, so came in at 299.5 pounds. Um, my top weight was 333 pounds. And uh, I, try, I tried everything. Jenny Craig, I dropped 100 pounds on Jenny Craig. And, uh, and I went home and spent two weeks with my mother and then I came back and uh, I put 110 pounds on and, uh, uh, but fast forward you know I call my mother every four days now and I tell her I love her and she tells me she lo- I mean it's complete the, the relationship with my mother was completely transformed because of the application of these steps so you know Jenny Craig you know um, you know, I was the guy on a Saturday afternoon that would be standing in the self-help section all afternoon trying to figure out what was wrong with me. You know, I did Tony Robbins. I, I was the guy who walked across those hot coals, coals for $4,500, you know. I, I was the guy who went to peak potentials and, like, uh, I'm, like, going to get thin and then at the break I'd be scoffing chocolate before going back into the seminar. Um, I was the guy that drove up to Malibu um, and found a psychic and had no money and borrowed $2,000 off a friend and gave it to her and she said, you know, come every week and I'm going to get you thin and get rid of all this anxiety and I never saw her again. 
Yeah, and I gave her $2,000. That, I mean, that's where I went to, right? I mean, that's my story. I've got no shame about it. I think it's funny. Um, now, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, what brought me into Overeaters Anonymous was uh, I'm an alcoholic as well, a blackout drinker. I think I qualify for every 12-step program. <laughs> Apart from gambling, I never gambled. I think I'm just too tight with money. I just don't like gambling. But everything else... I went to Al-Anon and I, the women just annoyed me. I was like, leave him, leave him. Get away from him. You know, so, I mean, I'm definitely an Al-Anon. Right? Definitely, but they just annoyed me. Um, all of it, you know, all of it. You know, I used to look at pornography all the time. It was like food addiction and pornography goes hand in hand. I'm going to not talk too much about that because there's women in here. I haven't looked at pornography for eight years. It's just not good for me. It's toxic, right? Um, food and pornography were just, just toxic in my system. So today I live a pretty clean life. And what brought me in was... Um, I went on a, ben, a blackout alcoholic bender for four days in Boston and completely lost track of what happened over four days and woke up in a hotel room in South Boston uh, late for work and I worked in Pasadena, California and uh, my, boss, my boss called me going, where are you? And I'm like, I, I don't really know. And I just remember looking up and there was a pile of vomit on one side of me and a half-eaten cold chicken kebab with french fries on the other and I just remember going I can't go on I can't go on like this I, wait, I was like huge big fat 300 pound male couldn't look in the mirror and I remember getting on the plane to come back to LA and I couldn't get the, the seatbelt around me and um, I pissed myself and the woman next to me could smell me and I'd vomited on myself during the four days and I had the same clothes on and that's where it took me, you know. You know, when I'm in AA sharing about my eating disorder, our kids laugh at me, go, just have the pizza and relax, you don't want to die from it. Yeah, I am. I know a lot of people who've died in Overeaters Anonymous over the last 14 and a half years. I know two people have committed suicide from this addiction. Serious stuff, you know. It's serious stuff. Um, but that's not my story, you know. And I came into the, the rooms uh, really beaten up. Um, first meeting I went to called a guy called Daryl I don't know if he's still around uh, out in, I lived in Pasadena I called this guy and he said come out to a meeting and it was out in off Sunflower in Glendora and, you know the OA house out there and uh, my first meeting I walked in and half an hour before the meeting you know I was like I've got to get there on time there's like one person there oh wait it's not like you know one person lying in the middle of the floor and I walked in and he sat up and he, he said you believe in God and I went yeah and he went good you're in the right place and laid back down again <laughs> and, I mean that's I mean you remember when you when she first meeting you know, how nervous you were and, I, and this guy's like and I was that mangled and I had no other place to go that I actually sat down and waited I mean I knew I was done you know, normally I'd have run out the door, you know, a crazy homeless guy in the middle of the floor. And I didn't, I sat and these three guys came in and a guy called Darren and we had a meeting. And this is the divine part of Overeaters Anonymous. I felt better at the end of the meeting. You know, I didn't feel as lonely, I didn't feel as hopeless. And I went out and binged after the meeting, I remember it. 
but I kept coming and then they told me to go to this meeting over in uh, Brentwood I didn't even know where Brentwood was some Irish guy over there called Mickey and, and this real hardcore AA guy called Walter and, uh, and, and AA people and, and you need to get over there and I went and it was the light a candle meeting how many minutes have I got left? Uh, and I went to the light a candle meeting and, and that was the beginning of my journey you know, my first sponsor was actually Mickey, and then I moved to Walter because Walter was like very hardcore and uh, white flag Walter. I, I don't know, I don't never seen him for ten years. I don't know if he's left. I don't know. Okay. And um, good. Um, and um, you know, he put me on this like, you know, he sponsored me, and it was like real hardcore. You need to be there fifteen minutes early, service commitments, five meetings a week, call me every night get your food over, real hardcore, and I needed that, you know, I really needed that, and he said, we're going to a retreat, I said, what, what do you mean a retreat, he said, we're going to go up Santa Barbara Mountains, you're going to come, and uh, it's a hundred bucks, and it's a retreat for men, and I went, I, I don't like sharing a room with another man, because I, I, I was a beast, I didn't want anybody to see me, and he went, you'll be, you'll be fine, and I got there, and he went, you're sharing a room with this guy called Leonard, I, I, I don't know if I want to share a room with somebody, and I shared this room with this, uh, this guy who was a little older than me, and a sweetheart, sweetheart guy. <laughs> Sweetheart, didn't say anything about my snoring and my weight. And I remember we had to move the beds because there wasn't enough room. And just a, a sweetheart guy, and like just was listening to my story and telling me his story. And, I, and it was just a great connection. That's why when I came in, I, my heart just filled with love for him, you know. And a Tuesday, I met a Tuesday light a candle 14 and a half years ago. People have people that are 14 and a half years late they're still around I've recognised some of the other faces and uh, you know it was just the, it was the you know God working in my life and uh, you know I just went for it you know I went for it AA OA um, and my life just changed got a great job with a big company still there 14 and a half years later um, and lost the weight you know and that's when the real work started and I thought I'd lose the weight, find a girlfriend and live happily ever after. It doesn't work like that. Lose the weight and then you really real, know what the hell's going on. Now you know what, what the problems are. And you don't have the food to coat it. You're facing the devil. The beast. Without the chocolate. Without the sugar. Without the McDonald's. Scary place. And, you di- and I dived into it, you know, and, and I, you know, I looked at that childhood abuse, you know, getting slapped around by my dad, you know, beaten, you know, the, the alcoholic brother, the alcoholic sister. You know, these were all the things that, that I was coaching my feelings over. But, you know, the other thing that really came to me was is I developed my relationship with God and I've got a strong relationship with God was, um, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer, again, just my opinion, you know, I was just born with this disease, you know, I just, I just don't really deal with this world very well, you know, I have to be, even to this day, uh, I, I don't watch the news, you know, it just upsets me, you know, it's just doom and gloom, and, you know, and it, the other thing is my personality, 
you know, I, I can drive, I live in Brentwood now, I live around the corner from Light of Candles. <laughs> and I, I can drive or walk through Brentwood and I'll see a woman in a Porsche and then another homeless woman on the side of the street pulling out food out a, a dumpster. And I look at the two and it just upsets me. And I'm like, God, what, what's going on here? What, where's the internet? What, why are you letting this happen? And it's just, I, it just really affects me. You know? And um, it's just my nature and every addict I've met. We're just, I just think we're a sensitive bunch of people. And um, my mind doesn't work in a positive way. You know, my first thought in the morning is, oh, shit. What's going to happen today? You know, that's my first thought. You know, I really have to treat it. You know, really treat this disease. You know, and, and I go to this specific uh, format of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they say to me, and it, the other day I was worried about work, I was worried about my girlfriend, you know, I'm worried about my bonuses, you know, I'm worried about money. And uh, the, this guy in AA said, you know, right now, standing in a meeting of AA with me, is anything wrong right now? In, right now with me standing is there anything going to happen right now that's going to blow up and I'm like no and he said how are you feeling right now I said, I'm actually feeling really good talking to you it's like well let's just stay in this moment and right what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks my girlfriend's noticed this and people at work is I just feel, seem a lot calmer you know because I'm like right now it's all good I'm sitting here with you in this moment at 9.22 there's nothing happening so what am I scared of? I'm scared about next Thursday at that marketing meeting. I'm scared about my budgets that I've got to present on Tuesday. It's not happening. I've got to live in reality right now. And that's what I'm doing. You know, and I've really had to practice this. And it talks about it all through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've understood that I use the food because I'm always scared. I'm in fear all the time, right? I've got this nuclear power plant of fear between my ears. And none of it's real. I mean, I don't want to get all spiritually goo-goo with you. I mean, I'm not that kind of person, but most of it's made up in my head. In the last 14 and a half years, nothing terrible has happened to me. I've had some big disappointments. I've had a heartbreak a couple of times didn't kill me, didn't lose my house you know, nothing terrible happened and the major things that I dealt with I just walked through it with my tribe and my loving living God and I got through it and um, you know I remember Walter G saying to me very early on in recovery, he said if you stay right in the middle of your group your 12 step meetings, right in the middle of it, your needs will always be seen to you will always be taken care of. Now, my ego wants more and more and more, right? My ego's constantly looking for more and more and more. My ego's constantly dissatisfied with what I've got. But I actually have a fantastic life. I really do. You know, I've got a lot of love in my life, you know, um, and it's changed my perception of things. And... Um, it's all from the application of these steps. And so moving forward, you know, how do I live today? You know, I'm very, I, I'm pretty, pretty rigid around my food. You know, I have red light, yellow light, green light foods. I, I don't eat the red light foods. Um, 
and I do email every day my food, five minutes every day I email my food to my sponsor Kenji, some of you might know him, he's still going strong all these years later up in the valley and uh, you know and I email it out to like four other people sponsees and somebody who's not in program but I help with food he just doesn't want to go to program but I help him with the food, it's fine, I'll help you you know, doesn't want the God thing, doesn't want meetings, so I help him. I just give, help him with the tools of it. And uh, so everybody can see my food every day. And it's huge, that accountability, because I was very devious as well. I'm a devious addict. You know, I'm a sneaky addict. I used to hide food all over the house from my wife when I was married. I'd be finding all this food hidden chocolate under the bed. Because there was so much shame around it, you know. I didn't want anybody to know, you know what I was doing. And, um, you know, I go to, uh, you know, the pandemic's really hammered away. I mean, I've start, I'm going to start another meeting. I'm, I can't do Zoom anymore. So I'm, I'm just going to start my own meetings. I already started one in West Hollywood. I'm going to start another one in Santa Monica. I've got to be around you people. I can't be looking at little boxes on a computer. I'm in the kitchen while you're sharing. That's <laughs> what was going on. I'm like in the fridge going, somebody's sharing. Would I be doing that if I was in an OA meeting? I mean, my, my addict like will do anything it can to get me away from the life. You know, and uh, you know, the other thing is on these OA Zoom meetings, there's people eating in the cap right up. I'm just like, I don't want to watch that in a meeting. Somebody's stuffing their face on the camera. I, I just, I need to be around you in a spiritual connection where two or more meet in my name. And um, so I'm, I'm going to start other meetings. I go Monday. I do two OA meetings a week, and uh, the rest I, AA. I go every day, seven days a week, so meeting every day. Um, I do sponsor. I must admit, sponsoring people in OA is the most challenging thing in my program. And uh, I've learned over the years. Maybe I learned a bit of the Al-Anon that I went to. I learned over the years, like. It's up to them. I'll just show them what I'm doing. And now I don't worry about it. I mean, I, I got a, a sponsee in, in Florida and he sent me his food the other day. And, oh God. and instead of going, what the hell are you doing? I just went, hey, bro, let's get back on the horse tomorrow. You know, let's get back on the horse. Let's do it. And he keeps coming back. He doesn't disappear. But it's like that all the time. But that's his, that's his journey. That's his path, right? That's his journey. He just needs some help. Um... You know, I'll finish on this. I've got a couple of minutes, right? Um, this is a story I really want to tell quickly. During the pandemic, um, I was out running. I like to run. I, I work out. I exercise real part of my recovery. And I was running past the routes on Wiltshire Boulevard down there. And uh, round the back of it, and, and where the dumpsters are, and I could hear this cat, little cat, crying, crying. And I'm like, what's that cat? There's a cat stuck somewhere. And I went over and there was a, a Rouse plastic bag and somebody tied a little kitten up in the bag. It was during lockdown. And the cat was like, and it made this horrible noise. And I opened the, the, the thing, I opened the bag and this little kitten, little black kitten, it was inside, it was covered in its own crap and pee and, and it was all beaten up and it, it had a scar on it. So I, I took it home and I cleaned it up. And I don't like pets, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a pet guy, right? And I spent a lot of money in my condo and I don't want pets. <laughs> and, uh, so I took this little kitten and I took it to a, a cat refuge and there's these cats everywhere and I've like 
get it a good home. But I felt really bad about it. And I caught my sponsor in AA. He's like, dude, I ain't got a brother a cat kitten. I'm, like, I'm not having a kitten. You know, I just bought a new sofa. <laughs> so about three weeks later, this refuge called me and went, look, we've got a terrible problem with cats and dogs. People are dumping them during COVID. Right in the middle of it. She said, will you come in and have a look? And I'm like, you know what? I, not really. I, you know, I'm busy today. And I'm like, and then I could hear God going, yeah, get in your car. You know, a little God was talking to me. So I went, all right, I'll come along. And I went in this refuge, cat refuge. There was cats everywhere. There was hundreds of cats. The stinker, cats. Cats everywhere. And I walked into this room, and they put them by age in these rooms, right? And I walked in this room, and this little black cat came running over to me. And it was the cat. Came running over to all these other cat, little black cat. She went, that's Cleopatra. That's your cat. I had to take that cat with me. That cat never leaves my side two years later. My girlfriend laughs at me. She sleeps with me. I got up this morning really early. She gets up with me. She sits with me. I'm on Zoom calls at work. She walks across the camera. They all laugh. She never leaves me. And when I was a kid growing up, we had a black cat. And I used to be really cruel to it. I used to really hurt this cat. really hurt this cat and it was on my footstep and God brought this little cat again for me to make a living amends that's the twelve steps I'm crying about a little cat and I love that cat and when I look at that cat it reminds me of how far I've come That's the program of recovery. There's redemption for all of us, even somebody like me. So I'll leave it on that note. Here I'm crying about a cat in a way. There you go. <laughs> this is time for questions only. Oh, there's questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. Oh, if you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need to not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. All right. Who would like to ask a question? Go ahead. Hey, um, how have you gotten over slumps in your recovery where you were less willing to do whatever it takes to remain abstinent to get to a point where you were willing again? It's a great question. I'll repeat the question, right? How do I, how, are, how have I overcome slumps in my recovery when, you know, things haven't been going very well and I've got back on the horse, right? Basically, the question. Yeah, listen, uh, I haven't met anybody in 14 and a half years who works this program of recovery, particularly the food program, you know, uh, with, with perfection. And I don't think that's what God's will is for us anyway. Um, there have been times where I've never binged, um, but there have been times where, and it typically happens when I'm traveling. I travel a lot on business, or I did. 
um, or when I travelled out the country and I was out my little Brentwood bubble, my little OA support network, and uh, I'd call my sponsor and I'm like, you know, I've eaten a couple of granola bars today and it's making me uncomfortable. Or, you know, I had, you know, French fries is actually a yellow light food for me. It didn't used to be, but it is now. My foods have kind of changed around. And I'm like, you know, I've had French fries last night and I had them again tonight. And he'd be like, all right, let's dig into it. And um, it was basically because I was lonely when I traveled. Loneliness is a huge problem for me. I can be in a room full of people. I can be sitting next to my girlfriend and I can feel really lonely and disconnected. Like I'm all alone here. You know, the hole in the donut, as we talk about in AAs 12 and 12. And so food is a great companion and a great comforter. It's always there whenever I need it. Um, but I always felt bad afterwards. And so what I would do is, in order to overcome that, is connection. So when I go off track or bump, the bumps in the road of here, it's connection. And that means more meetings. I would look for an OA meeting wherever I was. I've actually driven an hour in uh, Montana to find an OA meeting, and there was three of us in there, but I just felt better afterwards. I don't even remember the name of the people in the meeting, but they're in the tribe, right? They're my tribe, and I've got to connect with them. Um, so connection, uh, calling people, um, and then just drilling down uh, on prayer around food. You know, there's prayers around food that I use. And I carry my big, my little big book. I bought this, uh, I bought this light candle in March 2008. Been with me the last 14 and a half years. Loads of little prayers in there around food, and um, I pray. You know, higher power takes the obsession away. I can't control it. Can't control it. So, connection, prayer, meetings, and not beating myself up. The shame game doesn't work. Doesn't work. And a loving sponsor keeps me accountable. To answer your question. Go ahead, you have your hand up. Um, thank you so much for your lead. Um, you mentioned you talked to your mother every four days, so I'm just curious how that evolved and how um, old stories around your mother and your family yeah. life have shifted over the years. Yeah, I went through a, uh, uh, when I got to about 10 years in program, I, I, uh, I went through a really tough breakup and um, I work another program around that, but I, uh, I was picking very toxic people to be in relationships with. And uh, not long-term relationships, short-term relationships. Now I'm in a very loving relationship. And um, it was because of, uh, I, I lacked some spiritual work around, um, around myself and, and dating and relationships. And it all came from the fact, and it came out of some step work I did in another program, that I, even though I'd made an amends to my mother, I still had some really deep-rooted resentments towards her. And when I called her, I would give, I'd put a 20-minute timer on the phone, because I was like, that's, in, that's all I can... And I, I, I was loving, but I was like, not really loving from the heart. I was still dwelling on some of the things from the past, even though I'd gone and made an amends to her. So, you know, in God's wisdom, I had to go through another lot of pain in program. That's the way addicts learn. We go through the ringer, and we sit up, and we dive into the program again. And I did another 12 set of 12 steps, 
and I dived into the resentment side to my mother and something miraculous happened just the, the shift and the love and the connection and now I call my mother and she makes me laugh she's 91 and she makes me laugh she can remember stuff about me when I was a little boy I can't remember she's 91 but she can't remember me calling her the previous day you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't called me forever and I went I called you yesterday you know it's just the way the, the you know 91 year old's mind is gone and uh you know, when the Queen died last week, it, I thought, I've got to call my mother. You know, it's like the, when the Queen died, it was like my grandmother had died. You know, I've always, had, I've always had Queen Elizabeth as our Queen. We grew up with her. I remember when I was seven years of age, we had a silver spoon and a Union Jack, silver jubilee. So it's like, I've got to call my mother, you know. And um, I nearly lost her a couple of years ago, but I didn't. I went back in the pandemic. It's a whole other story. Incredible spiritual 12-step story. Held her hand, but she made it through it. It's probably the biggest miracle of, of OA. Not the, 12, not the 100 pound weight loss. It's the, the reconnection with my mother. That, that lady had a hand up. Let's go ahead. Um, uh, are we supposed to announce ourselves? Or? No, no, no. Um, have you dealt with like, a major grief in your life where did you have you had a major grief so you didn't know if you could get through it in the program? Yeah. You know, it's a, how, do, how do I deal with major grief in, in life? <coughs> it's a great question. It's a really deep question. Uh, I can give you a deep answer because I haven't felt that pain. You know, as a, as a compulsive overeater, one of the things that I really, really struggle with is rejection. Because when I was overweight, I just got rejected all the time. As a kid, growing up as a fat kid, constantly rejected. The world treats an overweight person very differently to the treat a fit person, particularly in Los Angeles. Particularly in Los Angeles. I mean, people's attitude to me is very different than it was 14 and a half years ago. And I went through a breakup in program, and I just felt like my life had. I, I, like my life had come to an end and I actually started getting suicidal thoughts and uh, I, I you know very I went to AA meetings men's meetings and really really open about it and I got this like support of men going you know you've made her your higher power she's not your higher power God is your higher power and you have a program of recovery to walk through that and I did and I look back now and it was the best thing that ever happened. Best thing that ever happened. She did me a huge favour. She's a nice person. I wasn't happy. Codependently stayed with her out of duty. No, was, and now I'm really happy. The biggest challenge I've had as a compulsive overeater is, is uh, becoming intimate with another human being. And I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about intimate. I haven't met an addict yet that struggles with intimacy on every level, particularly a compulsive overeater. Because every day we look in the mirror and the, 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 the disease is there in front of us. We wear our disease. We wear it. Other addicts don't. They don't. We can't cover it. Even a bulimic. You can, I can tell a bulimic as soon as she walks in the room. Just looking at her skin tone and everything. We wear it. And it's very hard to overcome that. I'm still doing a lot of work on intimacy. A lot of work. I get outside help for it. You know, there's some days I take my shirt off, my girlfriend goes, you're in great shape for 54. 
I might put my shirt back on. No. No. Uh, go on holiday and I'm like at the pool with a t-shirt on. Still, 14 and a half years later, take your shirt off. Can you better shape than the 30-year-olds? What's that with you? And then the ego kind of comes in a little bit and then the shirt's off. and yeah. But then the shirt goes back on. It's all part of it. But she understands it because I've told her all about it. Go ahead. Uh, two-part question. Um, was there a particular step that you um, were like really hesitant to do, and yeah. what happened? Is there a step that was really hesitant to do? Yes, yeah, step nine. And, and well, the second part is, how's your sofa? How's what? <laughs> how's your sofa? How's the sofa? My sofa. Right. Two questions there. Uh, what was the? Uh, I think two really good questions. Um, <coughs> The hardest step that I had to do was step nine because, uh, you know, I'd really upset a lot of people. Before program, my old character uh, was one of like, take, 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 can I get something out of you without giving it you back? And I borrowed some money from a cousin in Scotland before I came, emigrated to America, several thousand pounds. And I took off and left him, didn't pay him back, just got on a plane, oh, I won't see him again. And... Um, you know, when I got to the ninth step the first time around, my sponsor Walter said, you need to get on a plane and go back and give that money in person. I went, I can't do that. I can't just electronically transfer no, you Go and do it. So I went back and I remember sitting outside the house and like, I thought, God, I'm so embarrassed and so ashamed. And I called him and he picked up in the middle of the night and he said, go do it. Take God with you. Knocked on the door and... Uh, the cousin opened the door and his wife and he was like happy to see me and I walked in and I went look I'm in a program of recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and they're like looking at me <laughs> and I'd lost all the weight at that time and they were like and all they wanted to know was what diet had been on like, how did you lose that weight you know and I went can I just do this first uh, and she was a bit the wife was really really she didn't want me in the house so I took out all this cash and I put it on the table and she completely changed <laughs> and, uh, and sat down and made me a cup of tea it's like 10,000 pounds like 20,000 20, dollars in cash and uh, you know I, I made the amends to them and uh, six months later he died so if I hadn't done he died he died in an accident and if I hadn't made that amends I don't think I would have kept the 100 pounds off so directly related the amends to my mother and the amends to the cousin and the now the living amends to the cat that cat keeps me really fit because every day I feel good about myself when I ate and I was overweight it's because I was feeling terrible about myself and all the things that I'd done I know we're running out of time how's my sofa? my sofa is perfect my cat just sleeps on it she has a little scratcher and I prayed about it. I prayed, please don't let her wreck my home. <laughs> yeah. I think we've got time. Did you have your hand up? We've got time for yeah, Hi, thank you so much for your share. I think it's fun. I think I saw you in the valley a long time ago. Um, can you uh, talk a little bit about your morning routine or your routine around... Yeah, yeah, I do. I've got all my prayers in the phone now. I've got very electronic over the years now, if I can switch this on. Yeah, in the morning, it's really important, upon awakening, 
Um, I learned this from uh, another sponsor in AA. Um, you know, the disease is waiting for me, sitting on the edge of, edge of the bed, waiting, waiting for me to get up, and it's plan, got plans for me that it's going to ruin my day. It's a living entity in my life. I really believe that. As soon as I get up, before I even go to the bathroom, I get on my knees, third step prayer. My girlfriend's looking over the bed, doing, What are you doing? I'm like, Praying. Third step prayer, straight into it, straight to that power. And then, um, you know, then I get up and I, uh, I read Emmett Fox. Um, Meditations of the Day is a great spiritual writer that, that uh, Bill and Bob used a lot of his uh, teachings in the big book of Alcoholics when they were writing the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and there is an OA prayer that I say every morning and I got it from this woman at a, I, I led a retreat in like Arizona or Montana been really lucky, I've been asked to speak across America in OA retreats it's been fantastic and I met this woman and she gave me this prayer and it just resonated with me and I really want to read it to you they're all in here and it's the OA morning prayer and it goes like this, you may have heard it before God, today is a new day for me and with you it can be a new day of abstinence with you I can handle anything I ask for your protection today from anyone or anything that may interfere with my abstinence I'm asking now for your protection in case sometime during the day my desire to compulsively eat becomes stronger than my desire to abstain. I know that I am powerless over food and that my life can become unmanageable again. I turn my life and will over to you. Amen. And it just really helps me, this prayer. I don't know if it's an official OA prayer, but, you know... I, and I, when I say it, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to go. God's with me. I'm ready. Bring it on. What's for breakfast? You know? And I say it, if I'm in a restaurant, I'll say it. Like, hey, and I'll go, hey, God, can you be with me? Can you help me make the right choices? You know, I've got to be real. Because I will eat and eat. I'd love to go on a binge. Give me a cheat day. Any day. I'd love it. There's no cheat days in no way. Not for me. I can't get back. I just don't think I'd get back. Thanks for letting me share. Time's up. All right. Now is the time for secretary.